Amen, and I enjoyed the Red Bridge Vocal Band. That's a good name for them, I think. Very nice. I've never heard that arrangement before. Beautiful. But then that's not unusual for Mark Saylor to have good music, right? He's the best. I really thank you, Mark. And your wife really makes you look good. Really. By the way, Sunday nights, the pastor is going through the book of Revelation. And some of you have made it a practice that on Sunday nights you stay home. And that's okay, but you're missing out on the best. And I would encourage you to come Sunday nights and hear Pastor Borden speak on the book of Revelation. I love it. He's doing a great job, and he's really studying. He really digs in, and I appreciate his great work. It's a joy to be here, real joy to be with you folks, a lot of friends, and we thank God for the ministry of Red Ridge Baptist Church. Now, I'd like you to say a verse with me. It's uh, on the board there, because this is where we're going today. We're always talking about the Word of God. So would you read that with me, please? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Well, it was Saturday night. We were in Frankfurt, Germany and for a conference, but we needed to find a church to go on Sunday morning because our conference didn't start on Monday, till Monday. So we did some looking around and I knew absolutely no German except I knew that the word for church was kirk. And so I looked in the phone book and I found something that said that. And so doing some searching, my wife and I decided Saturday night we'd go find the church to attend on Sunday morning. So we walked from the little place where we were staying over to the subway. And as we were walking across, we saw across the way, about a half a block away, a, a group of people Uh, in front of a store and a man out front shaking his fist and obviously yelling at him. And I said, demonstration, let's get out of here. So as we were going down the escalator, there were some guys coming up the escalator who had had a lot of strong beverage that day. And they saw what was going on and they said, hallelujah. We looked at each other and said, street meeting. So we went down the escalator, came back up the escalator, walked across the street, and here's this group of people, this man up front, preaching away. I didn't know a word he said. This little man came around passing out gospel tracts. And I said, do you speak English? And in sign language, he said, that means, no, wait, I'll be back. So he left me. And pretty soon, and not long, he came back with another gentleman, and a man said, may I help you? I said, sure. I'm glad you speak English. I said, who are you folks? Well, to make a long story short, these were fine Christian people, and they were having a street meeting, and a man was preaching about the peace and joy that God gives. I got thinking, what if, what if in one of these melees in the cities that are going on today, someone got up with a blowhorn and started saying, I want you to know the truth is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for your sins, and he wants to save you from your sin. What would happen in San Francisco or Seattle or Portland or any place 
oh, tomatoes and a baseball bat and a few other problems. But, you know, I look at the, at the book of Acts, and I love the book of Acts, and I, I say sometimes it's my favorite book. But I want to tell you what my favorite book is. My favorite book of the Bible is the one I'm studying right now. And uh, I remember a friend of mine, one of my teachers in school, when he was in, in, in school, uh, they had a speaker in chapel one day, and he got up and he said, I'm going to preach on the most profound passage in all of the Word of God. Boy, he couldn't wait. He opened his Bible and took his pen out and he wrote on, on that most profound passage in the Bible. So a couple of weeks later, the same man got up to preach. And he said, I'm going to preach on the most profound passage in the Word of God. So my friend said, I turned to that passage. He never touched that passage. And I found out that for him, whatever he's preaching on that day was the most profound passage in the Bible. I want you to know, folks, we have 66 of the most marvelous books in all the world. We have the Word of God. God gave it to us, inspired by God, that we might know, that we might learn, that we might grow, that we might know God. Well, as I look at the book of Acts, I see confrontation. And I see things that have happened. But you know, as I look at the book of Acts, I see at least 20 times when many things are mentioned. In fact, we're told there that 3,000 were saved in one day. A few days later, there were 5,000, and then there were multitudes, and there was a number of Jews, uh, disciples multiplied, and again multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and multitudes in uh, one accord uh, <laughs> heeded to the gospel. Chapter 9, the churches were multiplied, and uh, many believed in the Lord. Chapter 11, a great number believed in the Lord. A great many people added to the Lord. Chapter 12, there were many gathering together. Chapter 15, there were many others also. Chapter 16, increased in number daily. In chapter 16, remember, it was the, the jailer's family that got saved. He was his whole household. Chapter 17, you have the record of, of uh, Ephesus. Chapter 18, you have Corinth. You have men believing. You have many believing. Chapter 19, on and on the word of God goes. You know why? Because the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of conversion. I got thinking about this last night. I thought I could say, you know, Redbridge Baptist Church is a church of miracles. You want to see a miracle, come here. And I can just hear somebody saying, be careful now. We've not seen anybody healed. Hey, you know that the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of salvation? There's nothing more important. My mother, when I was a teenager, was stricken with cancer. My dad prayed for her. And dad said, I have five children and they need their mother. And he cried out to God for God to heal her. And dad said, I know that God healed her. But you know, the day came, she still died. Oh, that was many years later. But the miracle of salvation is forever. I accepted Christ as Savior. 70-some years ago. And I've been saved all that time. And 70-some years from now, we're all going to be in glory, if you know Christ. And I'm still going to be saved. I'm saved now. I'm saved forever. Miracle of salvation. And we have 12 specific accounts of conversion in the book of Acts. 
We have the, the handicapped person in, in the beautiful gate. We have the eunuch of uh, Ethiopia, Saul of Tarsus, the centurion, the proconsul uh, of Cyprus, Lydia, the jailer, the two men in Athens, Crispus, Timothy, Athen, uh, uh, Anatius. Uh, God's people reached out and people were saved. That's exciting. But it was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And dear friend, we can't do anything apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As I listen to Mark's music, and he comes across with a new song, and my question is, where did he find that thing? I know where he got it from. The Spirit of God directed him. Why does God lead you to do some things you do that don't make an ounce of sense, and all of a sudden it turns out for God, for good? It's because the Spirit of God led you. Of all of the references to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, one author said that 80% are in the book of Acts. Now, you go home and check it out. Don't tell me if I'm wrong, because I read it, and I didn't find it myself. But it's, I'm not, I got thinking, yeah, that's pretty true. You go through the book of Matthew, and there's some few references about the Holy Spirit. And, but you get to the book of Acts. It's chapter after chapter after chapter. What do you see? Well, the Holy Spirit filled the disciples with his own power. The Holy Spirit separated and sent forth disciples. The Holy Spirit appointed overseers in the church and witnessed. The Holy Spirit witnessed with the disciples. On and on it goes, and God doing a work. A.T. Pearson was a man of God. By the way, I noticed there's no, no clock in here. Are we, we have a conviction against clocks. And the, the, what amazes me is pastor ends on time. And I don't know what on time is, but it's always good. A.T. Pearson pastored in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. He was a dynamic, powerful preacher. Oh, you may never have heard about him, but I'll tell you what, I have about 12 of his books, and they're scholarly. Reading through his life, I found out that this man would pastor a church until he decided, or the, it was evident the people no longer needed to, needed to reach people for Christ. As soon as the church got to the level they said, we're satisfied, let's say this way, he left. He said, I want to go someplace where people want to reach people for Christ. He said this, the church is the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of the church, and the Holy Spirit is the vital power filling the body, guiding its movements, and working through its members. And so as we go to the book of Acts, we see time after time the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We see him convicting, causing people to realize that they are sinners and need Christ. We see him in the active in regeneration, forgiveness of sins. We see the Holy Spirit with regards to growth, sanctification, edification, multiplying the churches. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm not talking about something weird. I'm talking about a daily walk with God in the Spirit of God. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at five. So you'll know when I get to number five, I'm almost done. We'll look at five outstanding accounts of regeneration in the book of Acts. And all five of them show us people that we can reach for Christ. God did it in Acts. God's still doing it today. And we can be involved doing it ourselves. Okay, Acts chapter 2, if you'll turn there. In fact, some of you have Acts 2 memorized. I understand that. <coughs> Pardon me. In Acts chapter 2, you have the, 
them reaching people where they are. We're talking about reaching people. We're talking about reaching out to a lost world, reaching out to a world that needs Jesus Christ. It's reaching. And in Acts chapter 2, we see them reaching people where they are. When I was in school, Bible school, oh my, 100 years ago, I guess, but uh, there was a fellow in school that was a witness for Christ. He made every one of us look foolish because he was always talking to people about Jesus. He was a witness everywhere he went. He carried tracks with him, talked about the Lord, just everywhere a witness. You know what? He just died two weeks ago, and he has lived a whole life of telling people about Jesus. I asked his wife, I said, uh, in your years in Guatemala and, and um, Mexico, and they work with uh, uh, Bev Kendall, Dan and Beverly Kendall, whom the church supports. I said uh, to uh, Art's wife, I said, how many churches did you and Art start in your years in the mission field? She said, oh, I don't have any idea. She said, in Guatemala City, we started eight, I think. But I said, you have any idea how many? She said, I don't have the slightest idea. You see, they were concerned about people coming to Christ. Now, look at chapter 2 of Acts. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, you go on down. They were in Jerusalem, devout men. Now, there are some things I'm not going to take time with because I'm, I'm dealing with one issue today. And that's the issue of giving the gospel to people. And we're looking at five different kinds, remember? Okay, we're talking about people, reaching people where they are. Here were people dwelling in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven. Uh, they were amazed. They, they heard the, the gospel in their language. They couldn't believe it. They were Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and goes on and on and names them. In verse 11, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they said, what in the world is going on? Who are these people? What is that he's talking about? Now, I want you to see what he did. You look down at the Apostle Peter. And in verses 22 and 23, he does one thing that is very important. He preaches about Jesus. He preaches about Jesus. I serve on the board of Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. Maybe you've heard the program uh, Unshackled. And uh, one night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, a, uh, an individual came into the mission with uh, long, beautiful hair. And uh, this individual came to our man at the desk and said, I'm a transvestite. And uh, he didn't know what to do because we don't have a division for transvestites. We have men and women. And he said, well, listen, why don't you just have a seat right here and we'll talk to you in the morning. And so he lay down on the, on the bench there in the hallway and went to sleep. Well, in the morning, our director came in, our president of the mission. And one of the leaders came and said, what do we do? What are we going to do with him? I mean, he's wrong. It's terrible. Started going off all the things that were wrong. He said, listen, just talk Jesus. Just talk Jesus. That's all that counts. You know, the day came when that young man came to our president and said, would you call my parents? I think I should go home. His life had been turned around, not because he was condemned, but because they preached Jesus. Folks, that's what we need to do. And that's what, that's what Peter did. We have him talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. 
Uh, you, you look at uh, whom God raised up, verse 24. He tells how he was crucified. You crucified the Lord of glory. He doesn't mess around. But he said, uh, you've crucified the Lord of glory, but God raised him up. Well, there was conviction. In verse 37, you hear them saying, what, what are we supposed to do? You've told us all this. What are we supposed to do? And he gives commands to them. He said, repent, every one of you. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, someone says, aha, you've got to be baptized to be saved. No, you don't. My mother used to say, Elwood, baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. Yeah. And so, in fact, I've been memorizing scriptures according to the alphabet. And I got to Mark 16, 15. Uh, Go ye in all the world, you know, and it talks about uh, repent and be, believe and be baptized. But then it says, he that believeth not shall be condemned. So it's not the baptism that saves, it's a believing in Jesus Christ. And the baptism is a testimony of what's happened on the inside. The way it is. And here's what they did. They accepted. And verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Folks, reaching people where they are. Here they were in town for a conference. And instead of a conference, they heard about Christ. Go over with me to chapter 6. In chapter 6, we have the growth of the church. And and I want you to know that here is uh, an evidence of, of Red Red Baptist Church. Because they had a church conference. And they, they had a church conference. Why? Well, because in those days, chapter 6, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And uh, they summoned uh, the people together. They said, we've got to have a church conference. And they said, we have to do something about this. Well, that was no problem to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, well, you've got to divide the, the labor. And so they chose seven men, and those men are named here. But I want you to look at verse 7. Verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now remember, back in the Gospels, it was the priests who caused the uprising that led to the crucifixion of Jesus. Some of those people got saved. Do you know that today religious leaders still get saved? Do you know that today religious leaders still get their hearts straightened out and their minds straightened out? And yes, their theology straightened out. I went to hear a man speak one time who was a leader of one of a great religion, big religion. I shouldn't say great, no, big religion. And he told his testimony how he had accepted Christ. When I was pastoring in Chicago, in Cicero, we had a young couple that sat in the third row right there. I didn't know who they were. They just started attending church. A lovely Hispanic couple. So I got acquainted with them. And Frank said, well, we've been going to, and he named the cult he was involved in. In fact, he had been the pastor of that cult section in that town and had built the church the building, not a church, the building where that cult met. He was the leader. There he was sitting in church every Sunday. I said, what happened to you? That's exactly the way I put it. I said, what happened to you? He said, Pastor, 
I began to study the Bible. And he said, they couldn't give us the answers. And I found the answers in the Word of God. I want you to know that we can reach religious leaders with the message of the gospel. And many times it's simply, they need to get saved. Sometimes they need to get their theology straightened out. When I was pastoring in California, we had two lovely couples from Ghana. And uh, the one had been a pastor of a very large church in Ghana. And I said, well, what brought you to this country? I said, he said, well, I came to this country to uh, go to school. They wanted me to get some advanced degrees. I said, then why are you here in church? Because we did not agree with his group. He said, because I got study in the Word of God, and I couldn't validate what I was taught and what I was teaching, and I got to the Word of God, and I had to change. And he said, so I lost all my support. I lost all my connections. I lost my job. And he said, I've just got a job now as a janitor. And here he was a lead pastor of a very large church in his country. You see, God can reach religious leaders. You say, well, he's a reverend, or he's a father, or he's a whatever. Hey, listen, they need Jesus. Let's go after them. Okay, we must move on. Go to chapter 8, please. Chapter 8, and I love chapter 8 because we go to cross-cultural. And I don't know how you are, but I love cross-cultural ministry. And when you get in chapter 8, you see uh, Philip ministering to the people of Samaria. Remember during the life of Christ, when he witnessed to the woman at the well, and it said the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans? They hated them. They were just not that good. Back in the old days, you'd have called them half-breeds. They weren't as good as we were. We are, and so we, we, reached, we don't go to them. But that's where Philip went, cross-cultural. And from the middle of a great cross-cultural ministry to the Samaritans, the Spirit of God speaks to him. And it's a beautiful passage. You go on through the passage, and you go on down to, uh, let's see, jump down to verse 26. The angel of the Lord said, Arise and go toward the south. Leave the citywide crusade where thousands are being saved and go down to the desert. I don't know about you, but I always like to see things going forward. I'm not a very good backward person. And by the way, I noticed that we have a remote control for the PowerPoint. And as it was being explained to Joy, because she's running the PowerPoint, there's a forward and a backward button on that PowerPoint control. And one of them has an arrow this way and the other has an arrow that way. And the forward arrow is worn off. This man preaching here goes forward. And the one going backward, there's a big strong arrow there. You know, folks, that's the way it ought to be going forward for God. I'm only 83, and I say, let's keep on going. There's still a world to be reached for Christ. I don't want to quit. I mean, too young to quit, you know? Let's move on. I was talking to Chuck Swindoll last year, and uh, Chuck is 84. And I said, you know, Chuck, my son was saying the other day that you have 10 more years at least, and keep on going. And Chuck looked at me very seriously, and he said, you know, that really encourages me. I said, Chuck, you've got more years. 
And folks, listen, you have, as long as you're not dead, you're not done. Okay? As long as you're not dead, you're not done. Keep going for God. Well, I see this in, in Philip. He, he moves on. He doesn't stay in the city. The Spirit of God says, go on. I want you to reach one man. And when you reach that one man, Philip, you don't know this, but I'm going to tell you something. We've got a whole race of people we want to reach for Christ. And so he goes and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. And you know the story. He is the treasurer. He's the one in charge of the, the, the queen's money. I'd say he's rather an important th- person. All her riches are entrusted to him. And in verse 28, the Spirit of God leads him. Look at, look at verse 27, okay? And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, who had charge of her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. He's a good man. He was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go over and overtake that thing, overtake that, that uh, chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard his, him reading the, the prophet Isaiah. Do you understand what you are reading? He said, how can I except somebody explained it to me? And so Philip gets into the chariot and sits down and takes the scroll. And what does he do? I love this. I want you to look at verse 35. Mark it in your Bible. I have my, I mark my Bible in yellow and blue and with a ballpoint pen. I just mark it up, okay? Then Philip, verse 35, opened his mouth, beginning at this scripture, preached what? What did he preach? Come on, what did he preach? He preached Jesus. And what happened? The eunuch understands the gospel. And he said, hey, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He said, well, you have to believe with all your heart. Do you really believe? Are you really saved? Have you really been born again? He said, I believe. Let's go. I love it. This cross-cultural challenge of Philip is something I really praise God for. I had the privilege of pastoring in Southern California for several years. And we had in our church folks from Ghana, from Cuba, from Jamaica, and from Mexico. And from there, God put us in Chicago, in Cicero, Illinois. And um, in that church, we had Spanish-speaking people from seven countries. So every Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour, I preached a message in English and had it translated into Spanish. And I had people from seven different countries out there. We had folks from Nigeria. We had people from the Czech Republic. One Sunday, we went out to eat, and there was a large table, next table over from where we were sitting. And there was 11 of our people from our church sitting around that table. And we had a new lady come to church who, when I spoke to her, I, she didn't understand me. Well, I know a little bit of Spanish, enough to get myself in trouble. And so I tried speaking to her in Spanish, but she didn't understand that either. And I said, where are you from? And she didn't understand that either. And so I called one of our men. We had a man who was a, a mechanic. And I want to tell you something. He was one of the wisest men I ever met. He knew seven languages. And I said, Adolf, come here. Here's a lady. I don't know who she is. I don't know where she's from, and I don't know what she speaks. But would you talk to her? And so he walked up to her, and he greeted her in one language and another. And finally, he's turned to me and says, she's Czech. She's speaking Czech. That's Europe, okay? That day, 11 people were sitting in a restaurant from our church, all speaking Czech. But I I just look at the cross-cultural benefits we have today, and we live in a world, hey, listen, 
I love coming here to church because I don't see everybody looking just like me, and that's bad. When they all look like me, we got a bad situation. We should be reaching out. Russ and his wife were retired. He had retired from the ice cream industry. And I had a nice home there in the city. And a new couple moved in next door. They were a Cuban couple, and they had two little boys. And uh, Mrs. Wilson didn't know any language that they knew because they spoke Spanish, and the lady didn't speak any English. The man did. He was working in town. And so she knew two languages that everybody understands. She knew the language of cookies and knew the language of a smile. And she took a plate of cookies and a smile next door. Here was this old, pardon me, 65-year-old, and I'm way beyond that, this old 65-year-old gray-haired lady taking a plate of cookies to a young Cuban couple and smiling. You know, the day came when they started coming to church. I said to him one day, I said, Joey, sometimes I think you don't really understand all I'm saying. Could we have a Bible study in your home? And to make a long story short, the day came sitting at their table in their kitchen. I said to them, what do you think you need to do? And Joey said, Pastor, I need to accept Christ. I'm not saved. They were religious, but not saved. That dear man and his wife that day accepted Christ as Savior. It was one of those thrilling times. In fact, on my way over the house that night, I said, Lord, I don't speak their language. You do. Help me to say the right thing. And this is all I had right here. And they accepted Christ. Folks, listen. There's a world out there that looks different than you do when you look in the mirror. Thank God for it. Because God has a lot of color in his, his garden. We have the privilege of reaching out to a world that's all around us. Not just one kind or another. Not just Hispanic. Not just African American. But whoever they are. Love them for Jesus' sake. He did. We should. Well, there's another class. Go to chapter 9. In chapter 9, you know all about that chapter because here's reaching the seemingly impossible. Impossible. <coughs> Saul of Tarsus was hated, and he hated. He hated the believers in Jerusalem, and he wanted to go and express his hatred to the people in Damascus, and God stopped him. God stopped him on the road to Damascus. You know the story. It's all there in chapter 9. And he goes into the city blind after accepting Christ on the road. And a man comes to him and prays with him, and he gets his sight back. And we have the record after he's saved. Immediately he preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. You, you may have some people around you who are difficult people to reach. You might think, I could never get to them. Well, you start by praying for them. You start by living an example before them. You start by being kind to them, whatever. But they are not impossible with God. God can reach them. God reached to them. Go to chapter 10. Chapter 10, we have reaching moral people. The good people that you say, they, they're so good. They, they, you know, what do they need? I remember Jim Martin was a kind of a guy 
Jim was so good that all he needed to do to get saved was get saved. He didn't have anything to give up. He didn't have any bad habits. He didn't swear. He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. He didn't beat his wife. He didn't yell at his kids. He was a wonderful guy, but he wasn't saved. I gave the invitation one Sunday, and I just thought he was going to get saved. He wasn't. His brother-in-law called me up that afternoon. He said, Pastor, did his brother-in-law went to a different church, and, and he said, Pastor, did Jim come forward today? He said, no. I said, he said, I thought he was. I've been praying for him. I said, I did too. I said, keep praying. The next Sunday, I gave the invitation. Jim and Rayona, both of them, walked the aisle, accepted Christ as Savior. That's the one thing they needed to do. There wasn't anything they really had to give up. They didn't have to stop. They just had to admit they were sinners and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's what you have in chapter 10 with Cornelius. You have Cornelius, the religious sinner, and he's praying. He doesn't know who he's praying to. He's just praying to God. God, and, and by the way, what happened in chapter 10 is going on today. Do you know that? This is happening in other countries of the world, happening in our country, where people don't know Christ. They've never heard the gospel, but God has put in them a desire. And I don't understand it, but God said it. And here you have an example. And he is a good man. I want you to look at verse 2 of chapter 10. He was a devout man. Get this now. One who feared God with all his household, gave generously alms to the people, and prayed to God always. And God reached into that man who didn't know Christ as Savior and just told him, send for Peter. And the Spirit of God brought Peter on, and Peter was hungry, and he was waiting for dinner, and he had a vision of baklava and pork chops and pizza and tacos and all those good things that are really worth eating. And what happened? The Spirit of God says, I want you to meet the guys at the door and do what they say. And you have the whole account here in chapter 10. Peter was the reluctant witness. But you see him going to, you, you see them, uh, uh, Peter going to, to uh, Cornelius and giving him the gospel, clarification of the gospel. And it all begins really, oh, um, he says, four days ago I was fasting, verse 30. But he says, never mind all that stuff. We're all present before God to hear all the things concerning you by God. Never mind the stories, never mind the stuff. Let us hear from God. You know there are people around you that want to hear from God. And sometimes we're living our lives so tight that other people are left out. But all around us are people who need the Savior. We live in the middle of a great big mission field. I love the song. I enjoyed the missions conference. You folks who were involved in the missions conference, thank you and God bless you for it. It challenged me. It stirred me. But we live in a world of need and a world that is willing to hear the gospel if they'd only see it and hear it. And so I look at this man and I see him. What does he do? He gets saved. Peter says, what do we do? He said, well, you need to accept Christ. Then you need to be baptized. You know, four, four of these five situations, they ended up being baptized. I thought that was quite interesting. And so he's verse 47. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be for baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? 
and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. You know, I see a man right with God. I see a man who's putting his heart where it should be because someone took the time to give him the message of the gospel. I had a Muslim neighbor in Chicago across the street from the church I pastored. And I received a, uh, a uh, Arabic gospel tract. And I said to him one day, I said, uh, Mahmoud, I can't read this thing. Would you tell me what it is? So he said, okay. So I gave him the tract and he read it to me. And as he read the tract in Arabic and explained it in English, I explained what it said. And then I met a man who had a booklet of a uh, Muslim man in Egypt who had come to know Christ as Savior. His story was phenomenal. It's in a little booklet. I wish I had some of them, but I don't. And so I went over to him, and it was all in Arabic. And I said, Mahmoud, I said, I, I can't read this booklet. I really don't know what it's about. Would you take it and read it and then tell me what it's about later? So a few days later, I was back in the store, and I said, hey, did you read that book? He said, yes, I did. I said, what's it about? Oh, he said, it's about a Muslim who lost his mind, went insane, and became a Christian. So what do we do about that? Preach Jesus. We believe in all the prophets, he would say. But I said, you've got to believe what the Bible says about Jesus. That's the key. And dear friend, you know what? You may be perfect today. You may be a wonderful person. You may be the best parent, the best dad, the best mother, the best child. You may be the best person in all the world. But if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you're not saved. The Bible says you're going to hell. Well, that's not pleasant. But child of God, look at a world that needs to be reached. There are people who need to be reached wherever they are. I, I, my friend Art from school, he didn't know any better than to witness. He would go into a doctor's office and everybody in the doctor's office got a gospel tract. He's walking down the street one day and this fellow's on his way to Sears and he stopped him on the street. He says, hey, I want to talk to you. I want to give something to you. To make a long story short, he had a Bible study in his home, led him to Christ. He baptized him, discipled him tremendously. He was in the ministry and he served the Lord for over 50 years. But he was just walking on the street. Reach them where they are. Religious people, reach them. People of another culture, another language, who don't look like you do, thank the Lord. <laughs> I look in the mirror, I say, oh, Lord, I'm glad you've got some good-looking people in the world. But thank God there are people out there who are willing and ready, if you would care, no matter who they are. Think of that impossible person. You could never reach him. He'll never get saved. We have some in our family. I have daughter-in-law, bless her heart, she has two wonderful parents, but they don't know the Lord, and they will not allow anybody to talk to them about the Savior. But Joy and I pray for them every day. God's going to get to them. And then there are those good people, those wonderful moral people who have everything put together, but they don't know Christ. Pray for them. Pray for them. 
Spurgeon, you've heard of Spurgeon, what a great man. He said, seek to be useful as well as consistent when weary of the strife and sin that is around you. Consider that all the saints have endured trial, endured hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Reach out and stand fast in the faith. Every one of us have a responsibility, a calling of God. We're ambassadors for Christ. I'm going to go to the last slide, Joy, if you will, please. The Book of Acts, they reach those who are less educated and the cultured. We can do the same. In the Book of Acts, they reach the high life and the low life. You can do the same. By the way, I was telling you about the different cultures in our church in Cicero. I left one out. I had it written down, too. We had street people. We had a busload of people off the street that would come in every Sunday. Oh, they made a mess of our restroom and did other things. But you know what? One Sunday night, we had testimony time, and the men from the street would sit down near the front, and the women from the street would sit back there. And we had testimony time, and this young man in the front got up, and he said, I just praise God that since I came to Pacific Garden Mission, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, and my goal is to walk with him. And all of a sudden, the lady way in the back said, that's my son. They were both living on the street in sin and now at the same mission, and God brought them. You know what? You have the high life and the low life. They need Christ. What you might call the best or the worst. But if you go to the book of Acts, all of them yielded to the gospel, showing that the message can be adapted to every one of those classes. We have the truth. Let's believe it. Let's teach it. Our Father, thank you for the word of God.